in what was arguably our most contemplative and philosophical episode yet, I sat with Wendy Jalen, founder and artistic director of Anakaya, about the artist as storyteller, how her intercultural education and experiences shaped her artistry, and the inextricable interconnectedness of humanity. My name is Jay Connell, and this is Wendy's Lab. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Dexter's Lab. I am here with Wendy, and so today is Wendy's Lab. Wendy, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Um, so I'm excited for our conversation. I think, um, I, I and I appreciate, and we've already sort of talked about this a little bit, actually, uh, the global perspective, I think, that we'll talk a little bit about today. Um, and so in whatever way makes sense for you, uh, please tell us about yourself. Okay. Um, well, my name is Wendy Jalen. Um, I was born and raised in Somerville, uh, which I think prepared me and sort of primed me for what I do now, which is which what I've always done, which is worked um, cross-culturally. Um, I, I grew up in a community that was um, almost entirely immigrants. And uh, my own family is, um, is bicultural or multicultural. Um, and so I was never exposed to the idea of, of borders as a good thing or, or boundaries mm -hmm. as, as um, something that's necessary or even real. Mm -hmm. And so what I do is uh, I work across constructed boundaries. And um, yeah, that's what I do. I'm a choreographer. Uh, I guess that's my, that's my craft. Mm -hmm. um, but I consider choreography to be storytelling. Um, and so it's very much a, not a, um, not that it's not intended to be visually beautiful, but that that's not, the goal is to, to, to um, evoke emotional response and to evoke empathy and to, to train empathy in ourselves and in audience members and people that I'm working with and in workshops and all of that and to expand circles of empathy through, um, through the body. That's and so <laughs> how did you get into dance then? What, is, how, how, what was that entry point for you? Um, so my very first memory is of a dance performance uh, when I was wow. less than three. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, it was a performance by my aunt Carolyn and a dancer from, um, from Calcutta named Pashkar. And I know that I was less than three because when I was still less than three, Bhaskar fell off of a stage and um, was paralyzed. And wow. so I know for sure that that memory was before that date. Mm. Um, uh, and he was really a brilliant, brilliant artist. Um, and I remember the performance very, very vividly. So that was my first, my, my first memory of exposure to dance. Um, and I have always, I've never identified as anything else. Um, I think wow. I've been thinking about this a lot recently that I think a choreo choreographer and dancer are as much a part of my innate identity as gender or any other thing that we experience as um, as as completely ourselves yeah. um, so that was yeah that was the beginning and then I 
you know, I did a little gymnastics and things. And then I started taking South Indian classical dance when I was seven. Um, And then um, uh, that was, so that was my sort of philosophical and and movement foundation, Uh um, which, and that is also where the really strong belief in dance as being purposeful and um, that, that dance is, that the purpose of dance is to evoke empathy, that that is, that's the goal. Um, and to bring society to a point of enlightenment, um, which to me is also empathy, um, to a state of sort of extreme empathy. Mm. That's, that's the purpose of dance. Um, and then I, I studied, I started taking, um, started training in Capoeira when I was in high school and Buto my first year of college. Um, mm. And so those are sort of my three, I think, really foundational forms um yeah that's that's my i guess that's my story <laughs> that's wonderful so i so i used to teach in high school and mm-hmm. i taught um musicians and mm. i remember watching them and they were so and like so world-class technically mm. gorgeous and um, it would frustrate me because at times though I would feel nothing and mm. uh, for a long time because they were so good I was like what do I have to offer these children and for me it was like well you're telling a story and right now I don't think any of you are being very intentional or even see yourself as storytellers and mm-hmm. so a lot of my work then became about how to facilitate that process and I began to think about kind of these this perspective of when do artists learn that their greater purpose is to tell stories? And Mm -hmm. that's not always a common, um, you know, refrain, especially as you like leave theater, right? And once you get into other Mm -hmm. disciplines, I feel like it's not always something that's put on folks with such clarity. And so I wonder for that to be such a strong theme in your work and a strong theme to your approach, where did that come from? This, this, this deep rooted belief in the storytelling and, you know, empathetic nature of dance, especially as its purpose, as you say. Yeah. Um, Well, it's, it's very explicit in, um, in Indian performance in general, mm. it's you know written down four thousand years ago. This is what it's for. Got it. Period. Um, so, so that's that's one thing. But also, um, I mean, I think as a as a human being and an artist um, and a performer, the one of the most important people in my in my life was Brother Blue. I don't know. You know, I'm I'm a bit older than many but <laughs> uh, Brother Blue uh, was a storyteller and I would say a prophet um, who lived in in Cambridge and he was a street performer um, he was also the official storyteller of the UN and a professor at Harvard Divinity School um, but his work was on the street and he, he was a storyteller and he he I I wanted to be Sister Blue when I was three years old, you know? So this is sort of actually along with the performance, the dance performance that I saw, Mm -hmm. Brother Blue was an absolute constant in my childhood Mm -hmm. Um, and in my professional life as, you know, when I grew up and started performing, he came to performances, which was like if Jesus came to your performance. For me, it was like that. 
Um, and he, I really encourage everybody to, to look him up and see if you can find recordings of his, um, of his voice um, and of his, of his stories. And he, you know, he would do Romeo and Juliet or King Lear in 15 minutes, but he would also tell stories about um, his, his sort of signature story was about a butterfly, which I think we all know what butterflies signify mm -hmm. and, and the, you know, transformation and, and finding your true self and, mm -hmm. um, and, and beauty in everyone. Mm -hmm. um, but then he also has, a, he has this piece that I don't know if it's possible to find online, but it's called America Be Beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just, it's about all of, you know, all of what's wrong with America and how, and how, you know, we're missing these, these huge opportunities. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so I guess he also was a huge influence, but I've, I've, I haven't been exposed to dance that was not intended to mm. tell stories. So that that's, I think been very helpful to me to not be exposed to the, the other kinds. Sure, um, sure. So I don't have any kind of, there's not, there's no journey there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I was actually having a conversation yesterday about um, the origin of the idea of art for art's sake mm. um, and non, like art, art that is not intended right. to tell stories. Mm. Um, and not to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but this was an explicit, um, it's not theory, it's, you mm. know, the explicit intention of a CIA program. Oh, wow. Um, yes, to remove politics from art sure, and to, sure. um, to use particularly um, jazz musicians and black jazz musicians to tell the story of America not being a racist country. Wow. Um, by sending them abroad it was really fascinating there's a I'm, I'm it's, a, it's a really fascinating history mm. and it just um it it made me feel all kinds of ways about the struggle of um trying to you know trying to get past this idea that you can't impose your ideas on the audience that you can't yeah. you can't tell a story and 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 have and take responsibility for that story being received um mm -hmm. as an artist in the united states and that idea has just infected the world of mm -hmm. contemporary dance all over the world wow. um it's including in like you know in places where the, it just makes absolutely no sense culturally mm. i guess it didn't make any sense culturally here either right um but it it's it was just insidious and and very effective Wow. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. It's surprising so, and unsurprising. Me, I, it's, it's, it, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's shocking and yet of course. Yes, yeah. Because that's so effective. It's yeah. so effective mm -hmm. because, you know, the arts are revolutionary mm -hmm. and they managed to make them not. Yeah. For, I mean, not everybody, right? Not everybody was funded by this program and this, pro you know, it wasn't, but it really changed the discourse of, of, of performance mm. around the world for decades. Wow. And I hope we're going to come out of the, the, come out on the other side. Um, we'll see, yeah. <laughs> we'll see, but yeah.
Yeah. So I guess for me, it's mostly that I just wasn't exposed to the other way. I was exposed only to performance as having the purpose of, yeah. you know, uh, of evoking empathy That's sure. it, and telling stories. That's like you grew up in church and never had to study it in school, kind of. That's what it feels right, like. right, uh-huh. right. Yeah, yeah. And I d- don't have any religious trauma, which is another thing that happens to people that grow right, up in church. Right, 100%. I didn't get that either. There you go. So you're lucky, is <laughs> what, what I'm hearing is you got all the goods. I it's it, I am extraordinarily privileged. Uh huh. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking about um, the CIA program again, and I wrote my undergraduate thesis on um, censorship in the arts, specifically how mm-hmm. different powers will usually silence. Um, so it was like the Catholic Church and the um, index of prohibited books um, and then there was this whole thing that they did with you know music back in the day but one that was mm-hmm. fascinating to me was the Nazis because the Nazis um, well yes they got rid of some art um, mm-hmm. they kind of went the propaganda route and they were like well yeah. here's what good art is we're just going to redefine mm-hmm. like what what this art should be and yeah. if you make it this way and you follow these tenets that's good art. And then this other thing is bad. And so while, you know, there are some who ban and some who try to like, you know, outlaw things, I do think there's a particular insidiousness about those who recognize that power and then try to use it to their advantage. Mm -hmm. I like tweaking it. And I just, it's like, you'll see chills. I'm just like, it's so, and it it reinforces how powerful the arts are. And Mm -hmm. And it's this weird, um, thing where you 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 have this powerful thing that a lot of people don't recognize as powerful that we always have to fight for and fight on behalf of while it's just like do you know that like governments get all up in here because it's such a big and it's like this weird dichotomy of anyway that's right well god i I would love to read said thesis um uh, how good it is but okay it doesn't matter um uh i'm sure it's fabulous but um i would honestly love to read it uh but just yeah i guess i i i think so a lot of my work recently um and just in the past couple of two two three years has been supported by um the state department my my work abroad um i i've been teaching a lot of workshops that um they're called it's the program that I have run, been running is called Run Like a Girl, um, and it's it's all about dissecting and dismantling all of the language that we have around gender and girliness and all of those things again through the body, um, and redefining what all what what those things mean. And it's rarely been run in English, but when it has been, um, I I use the example of like run like a girl, run what run and you know are you running like running down the street or are you running a country sure um uh or a meeting or you know and or mm. and or any of those things and what is it what happens when mm-hmm. um girls women run things how how mm. is it different and 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 a big part of that is is um ta- is is 
is it depends, which is like a, a phrase that keeps on coming up because of course all of these things are constructs and there are lots sure. of men that run things like women and women who mm -hmm. run things like men, whatever that sure, means and all this. Sure. Anyway, so this program is has been supported by embassies, um, mm -hmm. US embassies mm -hmm. um, all over the world. And, mm -hmm. um, and hopefully it will be again once we get through the current moment. Sure. Um, and uh, it makes me like learning about the CIA program. I was, you know, it makes me a little bit even more conscious, not that I wasn't conscious of mm. the irony of running this program as a State Department program. Sure. Um, sure. And I think that, you know, in the past four years, the State Department has definitely been in rebellion. <laughs> um, mm. So, um, and I think that the people that work for the State Department are, are not necessarily you know, having nefarious motives. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just interesting always to be aware of where is the money coming from and, and know. You know, wh whose idea is it that this is a good idea because yeah. my having an idea and my having an idea that gets funded are not related. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Oy. That's a lot. That's not what I was thinking we were going to talk about. I know, right? <laughs> places. But so, it's super important. It is. <laughs> And, I, and again, I don't think that people think enough about kind of that, like where are the gatekeepers, where does the power lie? Mm -hmm. um, and again, who uses what for what advantage? And so, yep. you know, I think, yep. especially as artists, I think sometimes we shy away from fully claiming our power, but I like talking about these things because again, all it reinforces to me is how much power we have. And if we really yep. do use it with intention, um, I think our potential for impact is just undeniable. Um, yeah. So to move in a little bit of a different direction, you brought up mm -hmm. just now, you know, you do a lot of work internationally and I'm just gonna, actually gonna read just a fraction um, of oh kind of where <laughs> you've been. Um, because I was like- really sad oh! because I can't I know, go I now. know, but they're, they're waiting for you. Think about it that way. They're oh, waiting. I'm waiting. Uh, Benin, Burkina, Mali, Brazil, Canada, so many places in India, so many places in Italy, Japan, Latvia, uh, the Netherlands, Mali, Switzerland, um, and so many places across the US. I know that you talk about having this global perspective partially because of where you grew up and obviously the very first um, art experience you had in terms of learning, um, you said I believe was based in kind of the Indian aesthetic. How yeah did that open up into actually traveling into these spaces? And what do you, mm -hmm. I'm assuming you love it because you've been in a lot of places. And what do you I love do. about it? Oh, <laughs> I love, I think that's another part of my identity that is like just innate, like the, mm -hmm. the, the need to travel, the need mm -hmm. to move, um, mm -hmm. like, the state of like the nomadic state that I, mm. the dias diasporic state. Sure. Um, uh, uh, what was the question? <laughs> uh, what opened that up for you? What opened that up? Okay. Yeah. So this is a, something that I, I am really fascinated by in general, how anybody ends up doing whatever they're doing and how anything happens. Mm -hmm. um, it feels entirely random. Mm. Um, I, I went to India for the first time with my dance teacher. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was less random. Mm -hmm. um, 
that was sort of a trajectory that one could have predicted, you know. Sure. Um, and but then I ended up in Italy because a friend of mine from college was in a was in a program in a, in a like a communications center there, and they were putting together a music group. And my husband at the time, who I met my first time in India was a singer and he was invited to the music group and then they stuck me in as the only dancer. And so okay. I spent two years in Italy and it was like so funded. Wow. There's another funny example of funding. That was like mm. a tax shelter for Benetton. Anyway, like, <laughs> you know, happy to use that. Um, sure. You know, they're less evil than some, but mm. certainly not not evil. But mm -hmm. um, uh. Anyway, so that was that, and that was that. Was, there was a lot of travel there because it was very well funded. So there was a lot of things. There are a lot of places that we went. Um, but then, uh, uh, the the real like. So I also went to I went to Japan for for four months. Um, uh, way back um, as part of a fellowship that I you know another fellowship. Um, but then I feel like the real expansion has happened just since 2015. Like I did a lot in places, but it didn't feel like all the time, mm. lots of different places everywhere um, until 2015. Mm. Um, and that was uh, my good friend, Genevieve Hyacinth, who's on my board, but she's also mm. my very good friend. Mm. And she came into some money and she decided to put it into dance diplomacy. Mm. Um, and she took me to Mali and she sent me to Brazil. Um, and from there, everything just like, you know, you meet people randomly and things, mm -hmm. one thing leads to another thing sure. and you end up going to a festival and there are other people there and you meet them and you happen to get funding to go to and it mm. just, you know, all, and and I went to Turkey because of uh, because I was working with someone in Turkey who I met in Italy, and as one does, and that you know, right as one does, and mm -hmm. and um, and that was because I was rehearsing with somebody who wanted to go to Turkey, and it turns out that Turkish Air had really cheap flights at the time, okay. and so it was like five hundred dollars to go to Turkey. So I decided wow. instead of waiting for funding, I would just go, mm. and that led to me being in Turkey every three months for like three years. Wow. Um, because it's also on the way to everywhere since Turkish Airlines flies everywhere. So anywhere I went, I would go to Turkey. Um, mm. uh, and so I just completely random, like you just meet random people and, mm -hmm. and, and things happen or they don't. And, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, I think an, a, an absolutely essential part of all of that though, is that I have a very supportive family. Mm. Um, which means that I can pick up and go. Right. Um, and, and I, I learned to write. I went to, you know, I think a lot of artists never learn to really write. Mm. And so I was able to get fellowships that let me travel also with my family, which was key in the beginning. Um, it. so it keeps coming back to like funding and support, mm. funding and support. Mm. That's, you know, um, but financial but also just sort of like community support that it's okay for me to leave and I can come back yeah. um and I have I have three kids and so that that 
is a really important factor, the ability to leave and come back yeah. um, and not, and either take them with me or, mm-hmm. or have them safe mm. um, and cared for at home. Um, so, yeah, I feel like, I feel like my path has not been, um, has been very winding and with and many digressions um and that's something i'm thinking about in the piece right now actually is the is digressions but mm-hmm. um my name actually means to wander um mm-hmm. with uh, some kind of goal in mind to, but to wander mm-hmm. um and i think that was that's what they appear to have done but not yeah, right now it's like, <laughs> i know i'm so sorry um <laughs> Yeah, it's like clearly your path isn't linear, but to me, when you were talking about how it wasn't linear, I just, I kind of saw you dancing your path, right? It's just a little here, a little here, a little here, a little here, and it's just, it feels very lyrical in that sense, so I think that's beautiful. Um, So what would you, you you mentioned that this was dance diplomacy, how would you define that? What does that mean for you? Um, I think it just means, it's just a, a word to... I mean, what is diplomacy? Diplomacy is should be mm. um, should be people coming to understandings of each other, mm-hmm. um, and I, and we do that through dance. It's mm. it's very simple. Um, uh, dance be I think a lot of times when people um, like I, I didn't make up the phrase dance diplomacy. Sure. So I so a lot of people when they do dance diplomacy, it's more um, diplomacy in what I think is a more traditional sense, which is that I'm going to go somewhere else and share what my country does. Sure. As opposed to having it be like an equal exchange. Mm. Um, And to me, it's more, it's, I'm not really interested in going and sort of displaying what America Mm. does. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I don't even know what America does. America doesn't do a thing. Right. You know, it's not modeling. I mean, nobody does a thing. Yeah. um, but rather, um, I, I, that to, to go and exchange with people and be, be in a space with, with people and, um, yeah. entangle with other people. I, so yeah. I, yeah. there was a project I had a few years ago called, um, uh, entangling and, uh, it was a duet, but it was, it was, um, inspired by quantum entanglement. Um, mm-hmm. And I was listening to a podcast um, by a, an Invisibilia podcast where they talk about quantum entanglement and, mm-hmm. and what happens, how, you know, the whole, the whole um, phenomenon, but that, you know, one um, electron from one atom gets into tangled with an electron from another atom, if I'm not saying that incorrectly. Um, And then those two are inextricably entangled. They cannot be, you cannot separate them in any real way. You can take them 10,000 miles apart and you do something to one and it happens to the other, Um, which makes absolutely no sense in my brain. At the same time, it makes perfect sense. Um, And I think that the, and, and, and it's something that happens sort of constantly all the time in nature. It's not just something that we can do in a, in a lab. So you could be walking down the street and one of your atoms entangles with the atom of somebody else. 
Mm. And now you you're sharing this 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 bond that cannot yeah. like it can't be broken. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a metaphor, but it's also a physical reality. Sure. Um, and but it is it's also it, it it's a metaphor for um for the reality of of all existence that we are entangled with each other and we don't have to mm. recognize it we don't have to think about it but we cannot get away from from being entangled with each other um and so i i think for me dance is a very quick way it's like almost immediate that mm. those kinds of that we become super aware of those connections mm. Um, and it's not about choreography, it's about moving together. So mm, it's like, mm. I never, I, I don't teach choreography mm. almost ever, mm. um, but I, I do exercises of moving together and I teach mm -hmm. like ways of, ways of connecting with each other um, that create these bonds sure. um, between myself and other people that I'm working with. But also like, usually when I leave, there's, you know, a WhatsApp group that continues mm. and people continue to be connected to each other mm. um, and to me. And so the, it, this is, um, that's, that is to me what dance diplomacy is. It's about it's just sort of revealing those bonds and creating those bonds. Mm. And then, you know, if, if we have those bonds, we can't ignore each other. Or we yeah. can't, you know, pretend not to need each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thinking, thinking also about like formative, ex young, young life formative experiences. Mm -hmm. um, my third grade teacher, Sister Linda Bessem, mm. um, uh, at St. Joe's. I went to a very radical Catholic school um, okay. up until seventh grade. Very radical, like very radical. <laughs> uh, and we had a word of the year and our word of the year was interdependence. Mm. And that's probably the most important word yeah. in the world, you yeah. know, ever. Um, so it's sort of just revealing that, that this is reality. Mm -hmm. And if we can be aware of it, then maybe we'll be better to each other. You know, you know, I find that really, really powerful. And I think the reason I asked about that diplomacy aspect is because some people believe diplomacy to be about an agenda, right? It's about getting people mm -hmm. on your agenda. And like you said, for some folks, it's, this is what we do here, um, as opposed to <clears throat> making that connection, making that mm -hmm. bond, having that be there. And now I have like three questions that I have to like get set in my mind, inspired off that. And I'll start with, I'm assuming, I'm making this assumption that there are language barriers in some of these places that you're going. Um, mm -hmm. And to me then, the shared language becomes the dance. And I feel mm -hmm. like that seems like a powerful catalyst for what you're talking about, that connection where you're going from like a yeah. struggle or, or just an understanding even that like, even if there's being translation happening, there's, there's, there's a gap, there's a gulf to then all of a sudden immediate shared language in terms of yep. body and I'm wondering what is that experience like it sounds like it could be powerful it's intense and I miss it with such <laughs> extreme desperation um uh yeah I I I try as much as possible to speak the language mm. um uh but of course I can't speak all languages but um right. so uh the one time that I've taught 
run like a girl, particularly um, in, a, in a context where we were working with interpreters. Um, and I am myself an interpreter. So that process is like, I'm comfortable in that process of, of working with interpreters and understanding the, the process of interpreting, um, which is really important because often people don't. And then it's, and then that's the gap. The gap is not the fact that you need an interpreter. The yeah. gap is that you don't know how to do the interpreting thing. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's harder for arts. And it, yeah, yeah, yeah. everything, yeah. yes. Um, yeah, there's so much in that, in the whole interpretive process. So the, the interpreters in this case, one of them was a dancer in my company Mm. Um, so that was very helpful. Um, yeah. she was not someone who had worked on this particular project before, mm -hmm. um, but I know her very well and she's a mm. dancer. Mm. Um, so that was extremely helpful. And the other was, um, uh, the other interpreter was the wife of another one of my collaborators, um, who is herself a Japanese English interpreter, mm. but, um, also very much you know, in the arts world. Um, mm -hmm. And her, her husband is, um, is a deaf Bhutto artist that I have this collaboration mm -hmm. with. Um, mm -hmm. And so we also knew each other and we had talked a lot. And so, so, so they were very prepared. Sure. Um, which was very important. Mm -hmm. And then one of, one of the teaching artists um, was also bilingual and he would sort of mm -hmm. step in a lot also. Um, and that was interesting because his uh speaking we were speaking about gender and his his brain does the kind of thing that my brain does which is gendered um which is sort of meander and go off on on um little excursions mm -hmm. <laughs> little digressions mm -hmm. which is gendered feminine mm -hmm. um anyway that was a whole discussion but put so with all of that um the the connections are are the, the connections are physical and they're also like, um, I, I do a lot of um, work that's based in a lot of different forms, but for me um, with the eyes and with connecting through eyes and sort of layers of connection, like how do you get to really intimate connection from not being intimate? Mm. Um, and looking into each other's eyes is really hard for some people. Um, and in some cultures, but when you can make it happen, it it's you very quickly move past um, the this this boundary. Mm. Um, and then we do a lot of I, I do a lot of work with hugging, mm. just hugging, mm -hmm. you know. And so I have some really beautiful images of these people just in these like deep, intense hugs, you know. Wow. Um, and a, a lot of that is creating a safe space ahead of time so that people, you know, creating this, creating a community beforehand and talking and mm -hmm. moving together. And then you put these people, put people in super intimate situations, mm -hmm. safe, super intimate situations. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's intense. <laughs> people, you know, there are lots of ideas about Japanese culture, for example, mm. about, you know, looking each other in the eyes, hugging, physical right. contact, talking about personal things, intimate, intimate things, talking about mm -hmm. sex, talking mm -hmm. about, um, you know, gender and all these things that people don't, don't talk about. Yeah. That didn't happen in our workshop. Wow. Like that was gone immediately. Mm -hmm. um, 
and it is so satisfying. <laughs> so satisfying. Yeah. <sighs> and and it's coming back. It's coming back. I'm gonna I'm gonna get off it's this. Better. I'll ask only one last question better. about this so that I don't, okay. you know, put more salt in the wound. So you're talking about. about <laughs> it's this. okay quantum entanglement and it was weird because I did have a question kind of related to this before specifically in terms of this talk of globalization which I think is a it's a phrase that's coming out specifically as it relates to millennials and gen z that there's this thinking that with the rise of technology and social media that there's more interconnectedness that's happening on a global scale and folks are beginning to think more globally as someone who traverses said globe, do you think that that's a true sentiment in other places or is that just a thing that we're saying over here? I don't know. Um, I mean, I think you have the potential with like, with technology not mm -hmm. to, I mean, you don't have to mm -hmm. traverse anything. You can stay in your little bubble very easily and many people do. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a potential to, to um, like, to be much more quickly in connection with mm. people and to make, you know, I mean, I've watched this process happen, right? Um, first mm -hmm. time I went to India, there was no phone. Wow. And like, I used to write letters. Mm. There was a phone down the street so I could, you know, occasionally get in touch with somebody but mm -hmm. you know now my phone phone works in every country in the world so I don't have wow. to do anything and my phone just works normally you know uh, so it's like we've gone from like yeah couldn't call my parents very often uh -huh. to and and before that it was never right right you know it used to be that if you wanted to travel you probably never went home mm. you know I mean not not very long ago people who crossed the Atlantic or whatever, the Pacific or whatever they were crossing, mm -hmm. never went back. Wow. You know? <laughs> and now it's like you just I mean, well, not not right now, but mm -hmm. in assuming things change. Mm -hmm. Um uh it, it's 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 very fast. And so you can go back and forth and it's less of a commitment, which is interesting. Sure, but sure. um but I for sure, you know. I know that Facebook is for old people and that's that's what my kids tell me. So I hear, although I am still so I on that Facebook. Yeah. I am still on it. I am an old person though, so it's okay. Um, but it is it is a it is a way that people I, I have if it weren't for Facebook, I don't think that my career would have gone this way. Wow. It would or it might have. I mean, I did a lot of things before Facebook, right? But it was so much faster mm. and so much easier. Um to to meet people and find people and and stay in touch with people mm -hmm. um facebook and whatsapp and you know and all of these things that make it just so so much easier to be in contact um yeah i mean the the next the the stuff that i feel like is missing i mean technology yay but i think what's missing is um is a uh, is I guess it's what's there that's causing the problem is, is borders. And if we could possibly move beyond the whole visa thing, yeah. that would make life so much easier for so many yeah. people. Um, it's, that's a, that's a major impediment to human growth.
growth is is this idea that you should need a passport and a visa to go somewhere and it's brand new we've we've only had it in the last like few decades oops yeah. i did not turn off my notifications um uh so it would be lovely if we could get rid of that and then things would really move you know yeah <laughs> I was watching the show. It's called, um, I think it's called End of the Fucking World. And um, it's a great name. <laughs> it was, a, and it's a great show. And at one point, these two kids decide to run away and they live in the mm -hmm. UK and they hop in mm -hmm. their car and they just drive. Mm -hmm. And it struck me how illegal that was because they were driving through different countries mm -hmm. and they're walking through different countries and i was just like it's kind of insane to me that we all share this one one rock that we're all on and to mm -hmm. simply just walk around it we could be arrested right like we can't do that mm -hmm. <laughs> it was just like that's yeah. that's insane right. to me like i just saw like, and some a of us can level. much more than others you know right. I mean, that's it's like right now, I mean, we're getting kind of a taste as mm -hmm. Americans of um, what other people normally go through, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, being, you know, not being allowed to go to Europe, that's the, that's the life of most people in the world. Not that I mean, I don't particularly want to go to Europe, but it's good to mm -hmm. go through Europe to other places. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Yeah, and it's a, it's 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 a blip in history. I, we have to move beyond it. I really hope so. I'm on it. your wavelength. I'm on your wavelength. Um, so pivot. What is creativity to you? What does that word mean? Oh, what is creativity? Hmm. What is creativity? Um, I think it's a lot. What does it feel like, or what is it? Sure. Um, okay. Okay, I think creativity. Well, it feels like electricity. It feels like it feels like mm -hmm. exhilarating and exciting and and kind of calming at the same time. Mm -hmm. And um, the whole it, it's the whole point. Um, I. I think it's it's like dreaming mm. um in that i don't think it ever comes out of nowhere um there are no actually new ideas there are combinations of ideas that create sure. new things sure. um i think this is also a huge fallacy of you know i, I don't believe in the west east dichotomy but mm. like the whatever this like contemporary ideas that you have to do something new. Nobody ever does anything new. Mm -hmm. There's a, you know, nobody's ever done anything new, but they've combined things differently. Mm. Um, and, and, and that, that creates, you know, new in quote things. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's like a dreaming process. And I, um, another podcast that I was listening to, um, there was a period when I was driving a lot, so I was listening to a lot of podcasts, and so that uh, had a huge effect on my. No shame. My we thinking. love podcasts over here. Mm -hmm. uh, right. <laughs> um, this one I think was Radio Lab, and they were talking mm. about dreaming, 
Um, mm. And it was about uh, um, a lab at MIT, of course, where um, they would put mice or rats or something into um, into mazes mm-hmm. um, and then watch their brains, you know, when they were sleeping. Um, and the rats would, they, they would watch their brains while they were running the, the maze and then they would mm. watch their brains while they were sleeping. And if they did step more than one maze, then their brains would start to put together those mazes mm. in there. Like while they were sleeping, they would be running a combination of those mazes. And so it allowed them to like get faster at learning mazes, mm. which um, uh, I thought was really fascinating. And, then, and uh. it, it, it feels like what, what we as artists, like what, what we and, and thinkers and, and, you know, creative people, what our responsibility is, is to do that. Um, and to, yeah, to take, to take ideas that might, ideas or images or whatever that might not otherwise have come together and put them together. And now there's this new idea and now there's a new way of thinking and a new way of looking at the world. And I think that works best when, when we're collaborating. Um, it can certainly happen within one brain, mm-hmm. but um, how much more exciting is it when it's, and how much, how many, how much more different can the ideas be when it's, different people and ideally people who have different histories and experiences that that then put those together and now there's this new electricity yeah um i think that's what creativity is well i think that leads perfectly to the next question how does collaboration affect the creative process i think it makes the creative process i think Mm. it is the creative process for me um although i certainly work I was about to say I work alone, but that's absolutely not true. I don't mm. ever work alone. Um, I have solos, but they're never alone. Sure. So never mind. I never mm. work alone. Does anybody actually work alone? That's you're raising a great question there. I yeah. don't think so. Mm. I don't think so. Mm. Yeah. I mean, even if it's just because you read somebody else's book, mm. you're still not working alone. Mm-hmm. I, it is. It it's that they're one and the same. Yeah. Collaboration and creativity are the same thing. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. So I was enrolling in um, a writing class or looking at some writing classes to enroll in is a better way of saying it. And one of them brought up um, an Eastern approach to writing. And it was so interesting because I, I just, I hadn't thought of it before. I, I thought of like, you know, obviously content differs and I guess it makes more sense in performing art forms, but I don't know why I had never thought of just different ways of going about the artistic practice. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess I was too in it. I was too caught up in my westernized whatever. And so I'm wondering for you, have you seen, and I think we've already talked a little bit about how this is true for you, a difference Mm -hmm. in time in in terms of the creative process and practice in different cultures what does that look like how does that feel and has that influenced your own practice as an artist um i think well first of all i don't i don't really believe in i don't at all believe in like hemisphere stuff mm, mm. um because that those are not those are not real boundaries mm. um and they're not there it's ahistorical to like everything has always influenced everything else and sure the east 
is most of the planet. Right. So that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and what's the east? Like, is Africa in the east? Because mm. it's not. And like, you know, and and well, Europe's east of here. And what is you know that it just sure. doesn't. There, I find them that not meaningful. That said, hmm. um, groups of people come up with things that they then share amongst themselves and agree mm-hmm. on, um, and then they get influenced by other things. Hmm. So, um, you know, I think like concepts of. Um, beauty and brokenness, which is associated with um, Japanese art, beauty, mm. beauty and ugliness and beauty and brokenness. And um, th- that's been super important to me. Mm. Um, and, and also uh, different structures for, um, for performance, which is different, you know, different structures of emotional, ex- emotional journey. Mm. Um, I think people have come up with a lot of different ones that then get used again and again in certain contexts. Sure. Um, so that's like the, um, I think, I guess I could I, I, like, again, you know, Indian Indian performance and, um, and capoeira, which is not really, is it performance? Is it not performance? What is performance? Um, but that's sort of like the 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 cycle of that and the the circular nature nature of that and then the 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 movement from outside into inner sanctum and then exploding outward which is mm. um which is the 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 sort of classical indian performance structure mm. um and all of the stages that you know the stages of of that that story and the purpose of that story and then um you know one of the structures in in japanese um, performances Joha Q, so like this sort of arc that I mm-hmm. uh, this is a podcast so no one can see my hands but, um, like a wave they could feel um, your hand but, though it's what you could feel it sure <laughs> <laughs> um, but all of those things have like I think been really helpful um I I really like to um like it's it's very helpful to me to have a to have a narrative structure that is an work within that and so mm-hmm. um this was not your question it is do people, I said, yeah what do you take okay. from it? how does it affect your <laughs> practice you're there okay. yeah okay yeah so that's i guess that's a big part and then of course different ways of moving and um different languages and human beings different human beings that their brains you know give me things um and their bodies give me things and working with other bodies um, is always is always educational and always like I a, a big question is appropriation always um, yeah. and it's probably like too long a topic to start right now it but, did enter my brain uh, yeah but the the I mean the root of that word is to make something your own right um and not the root, the like the original meaning of that word outside of outside of you know any kind of political context or economic context or whatever mm-hmm. is to make something your own. And I think that the most important part of that is to is like really understanding and collaborating. And if it's not collaboration, then it's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, but since it's always collaboration, 
and if there is if there is really respect and not um, and, and um, not one party benefiting over another, then that's helpful in that respect. Yeah. Um, I don't remember the. Oh, I think the point was so. In my mind, I was saying to myself, uh, a sign where which is the sign for the original meaning of appropriation to make something your own, mm. um, and you know working with other people you get to do that you get to you get to like their brain and their thoughts um become part of you mm. and and hope and it should be shared it should be mm-hmm. it should be you should become part of their brain and their thoughts and i hope that that's something that happens i think it is um as i you know i stay in very close contact with people yeah. and and you know we talk about things and we talk about what we're thinking and our creative processes and all these things and it I, it is a shared process it is a mutual um appropriation which is very beautiful mm. um so yeah all of that and again funding you know the thing that the 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 influence of where the money comes from sure. affects art all over the world. And mm-hmm. so that's something that I really notice when I'm um, when I'm in a place where the funding structure is a little bit different, mm. there then you see it. And you mm. see and it, obviously it's here too, but mm. it's harder to see something that you're you're inside of. Sure. Um, so the influence of um, of uh, like the French and the Germans particularly mm. um, and in India, the British a bit more, but still it's really like, it's a lot of German funding, which of course, mm-hmm. you know, is not their own money. It's money that they got from wherever they're pretending to give it back to and now controlling. Um, but nonetheless, their name is on it. Um, sure. and, and so that has a huge influence on people's processes mm-hmm. and people and how people make art mm. that is, um, that is superimposed on them yeah. and then appropriated and then, you know, internalized. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, again, East West, but like if we want to call something Western, mm. it's this sort of superimposition of, of, of what art is um, from, from a European space yeah. and to a much lesser extent American because Americans don't fund the arts. Mm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. if we were to start funding the arts then we would have a similar imprint mm-hmm. um so all of that <laughs> so two more <laughs> questions and this relates perfectly to to your last point so speaking mm-hmm. of funding uh yes. your lab project so you oh, right. funded <laughs> <laughs> and what is what is your lab project and how's that experience been oh, my lab project is the women gather Mm. Um, and it is, uh, it will eventually be a performance that is a ritual, um, of a ritual of healing and a ritual of creating space, a safe space. Mm. And that's just about it. It's going to be non-linear. It's very cyclical. Mm. Um, you know, which is of course a metaphor for, um, you know, the, the reproductive process for women, Mm. um, for, for cis women and trans men and all of that um but the that the cyclical um nature of that 
and the building and, and the building and then dissolution of, of this safe space and um, uh, and yeah it's it's been quite the year for not really progressing yeah. um, you know we've been working on this all year and I mean, it's certainly been wonderful conversations and we have a ton of movement material and I actually did get to go to Benin and work with human beings for a week, mm. which was awesome in mm -hmm. the middle of all this. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was, there was a great deal more prog progress that happened in those few days mm -hmm. um, in terms of like generation and, and, and testing of ideas and like what, you know, this sort of safe space is kind of what I do in my, all of my work. Shops, and so I know that that works. But then, what happens when it is um, exclusively feminine space? Hmm. Um, and I wish that I didn't have to always say that. That this is not a trans exclusionary space. Yeah. It's a self-defined. Um, and we actually did talk about that in Benin, which is not a conversation that happens very much in Benin. You may, you may have assumed that, but um, uh, but just about you know, that we we are not defining for anybody what that means, um, but this is a safe space, period. Um, anyway, so yeah, that will eventually be my project, mm. <laughs> um, our project. Um, and whenever it happens, it will feel really good yeah. and I'm ready. <laughs> I think the world will be ready for it. Um, okay, so we are we are here um, for the last question. Yeah. So um, this podcast is called Dexter's Lab, and today's Wendy's Lab, and it's <laughs> on uh, this children's uh, cartoon show, Dexter's Lab, and you know he had this beautiful laboratory kind of hidden in his home, and mm -hmm. so if you can have your own creative laboratory okay. uh, and you had all the money in the world and the laws of physics did not apply, what would that laboratory oh. look like? Oh, the laws of physics don't apply. They don't apply here, after the lab. Oh, it would be a portal. Okay. It would be, the whole thing would be like, or there would be portals attached mm. or something. I don't know, mm -hmm. like physically what that looks like, but sure. um, so, uh, so one could bring anybody from anywhere, anytime. Mm. Um, and and people could go back and forth from their like home spaces immediately. Mm. Um, it would be a big open space with lots of um, like pillows and cushy mm. things that you can lie around in, and the sound the sound would be really great. Okay. Um, and we would laws of physics don't apply, so we could generate any kind of technical equipment we wanted anytime Got it. Um, and sure. imagine new kinds of technical equipment. And so we would be able to create these like immersive um, experiences. Mm. Um, and it would be like, of, of course it would be a flexible space. So you could set up to invite people to, you know, experience these things, whatever you're creating mm. um, in whatever format you wanted to, create for them like mm. maybe everybody's lying on the floor maybe what everybody's watching it from above maybe everybody's inside it mm. um uh, the main thing though is that it's a portal love it it has to be a portal and it travels and it travels so 
it's a portal, but the thing mm -hmm. itself can travel because you're not necessarily going to be able to invite 5,000 people from somewhere else into the space. So you mm. could take the space somewhere else. Okay. So for me, I'm hearing it. it's, a, it's a TARDIS. And it's a TARDIS. It's a TARDIS. It's a TARDIS. It's a, that's a, exactly what it is. It's a TARDIS. And definitely portable. Cultural references. I know. Yes. And then dropping in. I love it. It is a TARDIS. That's all it is. That's yeah. all it is. It's a TARDIS. It's a yep. dance artistic TARDIS. I think that's that's yeah. my favorite lab so far. I have to tell you. Um, <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me in today's conversation. I think I think even we were surprised by all the the places it went, but I think they were all rich and yeah, fertile. for sure. Um, yeah. And I think yeah, I think this would be a, a good convo for folks. So thank you again. Um, can you tell people where they can find you and follow your work? Yes. Um, so you can Google me, which is Wendy Jalen, J-E-H-L-E-N, and you can find things that way. Or my company's um, main website is anikaya.org, anikaya.org. Um, and I think you can find everything from there. That's the sort of portal to the rest. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thanks again for talking with me, and we will talk Thank soon. You. All right. Sounds good. Dexter's Lab is made possible by a partnership between the Boston Foundation and Junamis. To learn more about the Boston Foundation, visit www.tbf.org. Follow on Instagram at BostonFDN and on Facebook at the Boston Foundation. You can follow Dunamis on all platforms at Dunamis Boston. That's D-U-N-A-M-I-S Boston or visit us at dunamisboston.org. Until next time, and thanks for listening, stay creative.